All right, well, as has already been said, um, which is pretty obvious, today we are starting a brand new year, and thank you very much, worship team, for, for leading us. I think that last song leads in very, very well to the sermon, uh, to the series that we are starting today. I know, um, like I said in the opening, I know that New Year's Day is often a day where we make new commitments, um, we make New Year's resolutions, um, and I think it's fitting. Um, it's, it really is a nice marker. It's the January 1st, and so you kind of have a clear start. Uh, if you're like me over the years, though, uh, you have made commitments that uh, didn't go till December 31st. They went more like January 4th or something like that. And then it's kind of like, why am I doing this? And so forget all about it. But I know that this year again, I've seen and I've heard from some of you that you're striving to read through the Bible uh, in a year. Um, and I would encourage you to do that. Um, it's a fantastic way to familiarize yourself with the entire Bible. And so taking time and just plowing through it um, is important. It's good to, to hear it, but I, um, to hear all the information. So I know some of you are planning on doing that. I know others of you have probably decided that you're either going to break or start a new habit, something that you've either been doing that you're like, I don't want to do this anymore, or maybe you're like, man, I want to start disciplining myself in a certain area, and you're like, I'm going to commit to doing that. And there's an endless list of things that we could mention that we could, you know, that often are part of our New Year's resolution. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Stick with it. Whatever it is that you've committed yourself to doing, stick with it. Because with that also is kind of a New Year's, re another resolution, and that is consistency and, and uh, perseverance and enduring. And so I really want to encourage you in those times when you're like, oh, why did I start this thing? Stick with it. Commit to following through with that which you have committed yourself to. And that brings me to this year, the year 2022, and this theme that we're looking at. Now, we wrestled with how to, what to call this thing for quite a while. Um, you guys aren't part of those staff meetings, and you're definitely not part of the internal processing that I do in my head, but we wanted to talk about, you know, our identity, and so we're like, okay, well, we could throw out the word identity, but the word identity now has all kinds of meanings, and it's, it's used for all kinds of things, and we weren't sure if that really captured what it was that we want to process and we want to go through this year. And, and if you know me and if you've been attending here for a while, I like working with themes because it helps me focus. So we started with, what do we want the theme for this year to be? And so we asked, maybe like maybe we could ask a question saying, you know, who am I? Maybe that's a good question. You know, what, what is my identity about and who am I? And, and then we could say, let's answer that question. Let's wrestle with that question and let's discover who we are. And so we're like, that's good. And, you know, and in my head, I'm like processing. And then one day it was like, and again, I've warned you about this. All this stuff happens in the shower for me, folks. This is, I, I think I have to start billing the church for not office hours, but uh, shower time and water because I sometimes spend significant time in the shower processing this. And then one day in the shower, I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's not ask the question. Let's make the statement. Who I am. If I was to ask you right now, stand up and declare who you are. What words would come to mind? If you were to stand in front of people who don't know you and they said, hey, who are you? And you would have to say, I am. What's the first words that would come out of your mind? 
So I want to wrestle with this year, and we're going to start today looking at you know, who we are in Christ, and we'll, we'll explain that again in a little bit. But we went from a question to a declaration. I want us by the end of 2022, and hopefully sooner, to be able to confidently declare who I am. Now I guess, caution, I'll just throw it out there. We wrestled with that a lot too, the I am. So you see it, it's not all caps because I am is named for God and so we wanted to be careful with that. But I think it's important for us to recognize that we can declare. We need to be able to declare confidently who we are. So who I am is the theme for 2022. And my prayer is this and our staff and all of us were praying that throughout this year, you are going to discover who you are. Not just who you are, you know, physically, not just who you are, you know, with your personalities and, and all those kind of things. That's important. But we want you to discover who you truly are. What makes you, you? And obviously, as Christians, we have to consider then what that means in reference to what Scripture said. So we're going to wrestle with these questions. We're going to wrestle with this idea. And, and we're aware that it's a question that has been answered you know, in different ways, and, and it can be discovered. And we're also very aware of the fact that this question and this statement has answers. We believe Scripture tells us who we are. Scripture gives us an, an, an example, and it gives us details of who we are and, and what it means to be us, what it means to be who each one of us is. We are image bearers of God, for one. Scripture is very clear about that. So this year, we're going to struggle through that and, and work through that. And my prayer is that by the end of this year, by the end of this year, you will have confidence to declare who you are and that you will not just know to be able to declare, but that you will confidently go around and declare to people who you are and what God is doing in your life. So then that leads us to where we want to settle today for a little bit. And that is the whole topic around identity crisis. This crisis of identity. Many of us in this room today, and many people that we know, struggle to understand and to declare who we are. There's a, there's a crisis of identity. We don't always know who we are. We don't always know what makes us us and what makes us tick. So here's the thing. Here's why we're focusing on this so much. How you see yourself affects everything. How you see yourself affects everything. And so if you're in a state of a crisis of identity, if you're not sure about who you are, it affects everything. The way you view yourself impacts not just what you do, it impacts how you respond to people, it impacts the people you hang out with, it possibly even has impacted the job you're pursuing, the career you're pursuing, the sports you do, all these different things, because who you are and the way you view yourself impacts absolutely everything. So if every single day you view yourself in a negative way, that's going to impact the way you live that day. If you view yourself as limited and you view yourself as you know, not good enough, or if you have an overinflated self-view of yourself, all those things will impact the things that you do and, and the uh, way that you process your life. So it's important for us to note that identity crisis, though, is not a new thing. I think sometimes in these days we kind of look at you know, our identity and we say like people are dealing with identity crisis. People don't know who they are anymore. And I want to say to us today, this is not new. This has been happening from the beginning of time. All throughout history, people have struggled to understand who they are. People have attempted to 
become something or, or not be something based on what they like or don't like. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And if you have your Bible app with you, I'm sorry, I just realized I forgot to put it in there. And so it's not in there, but so open your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 31. And here we see, you know, that God has now made mankind. He's made them male and female. They're made in His image. And God has created them to have a relationship with them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That's our introduction to humanity. That's our introduction to us. That we were created in the image of God. And that when God was done, we were created male and female. And that when God was done, He looked at us and He said, It's very good. All the rest of His creation, He looked at it and said, Is good. He made just man. And He says, It's not good. So He made a woman and He says, It's very good. Pat yourself on the back, ladies. Well done, well done, you know. We get it. So Adam and Eve were placed in the Garden of Eden, and they essentially had everything that they needed. Most importantly, they had perfect unity with God. They had an identity. They had no remorse, no guilt, no shame. They were so completely united, so completely innocent. Now look what it says in chapter 2, verse 25. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, I realize in a large group like this, it's always a little weird to talk about nakedness and being naked. So we'll move on. But here's Adam and Eve, husband and wife, the only two people around, and they're fully naked, and they felt absolutely no shame. Now, you might look at that and say, well, what's the big deal like? It's just the two of them. Why would they feel shame? I'm glad you asked, because if you look a little further, suddenly you realize that they did feel shame about their nakedness. You know, after Adam and Eve had eaten the forbidden fruit, they became aware of their nakedness. So it wasn't just something we can chalk up to say, you know, when they first felt no shame, there was no, you know, embarrassment or nothing like that. It was because it was just the two of them, it was because their husband and wife we realize now that the reason they felt no shame was because there was no sin. There was no issues. There was no identity issues. There was no crisis. Nothing had happened. They were in this place where all was good. And then they ate the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And look at the first thing they realized. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now why? Why are suddenly the same two people in the same location with no one else around, why are suddenly these same people ashamed about their nakedness? This is our first indication in Scripture that something significant happened after they ate the fruit. There's been a shift Everything has changed. For the first, the very first thing that it did, and I want you to catch this, the very first thing that the fall of Adam and the fall of mankind, sin, when sin entered into humanity, the very first thing that it did is it's changed their view of each other and of themselves. It could be argued that the first consequence to the fall 
was an identity crisis. It's also important to notice that up to this point, Eve has not been given a name. In the garden, she was simply referred to as the woman. She is referred to as woman. Why? Because she was created from the rib of the man. This is not degrading to women. She's created from the rib of the man. And so Adam sees her, and he sees, in a sense, himself, and she sees herself. There's identity. There's unity. There was no reason to name each other because there was no reason to separate between the two. They were one, completely one. It is only after the fall that Adam names Eve or gives Eve her name. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man said to his wife, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? There's a few things here I think it's important for us to see. Their view of themselves made them hide from God. This new view of themselves, this new ability or this new awareness made them hide from God. And I want you to understand this. This is what an identity crisis will always cause us to do. When we are not sure who we are, we tend to hide. When we're not sure about what we're about and, and what defines us and what creates us, we always tend to hide. We may hide behind our Instagram filter. We may hide behind our clothes. We may hide behind our, our jobs, our education, our sports, our friends, our family. See, when you're not sure who you are, know this, you will always hide. Because you don't want anyone to discover who you really are when you are not sure about who you really are. So Adam and Eve, what do they do? They suddenly are aware. We're naked. And so they go and hide. God comes around and says, where are you? See, when we're not sure of our identity, this is what we will do. We will tend to hide. We will try to get away. They had been in perfect harmony with God. They knew that God was loving. They knew that God was a, a caring, compassionate God. And yet now suddenly, when they were no longer sure about themselves, they were hiding from God. God it didn't matter anymore what they knew about God. It was what they did not know about themselves that caused them to hide. The question is, that God, you know, that, that God says to Adam is, where are you? And Adam answers, you know, um, we are naked, and so we hid. And they're hiding from God. But look at the question that God then asks Adam. Very important question. Loaded question. Who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Think about that question for a minute. Think about all the implications of that question. Who told you, Adam, that you were naked? Maybe, you know, Adam's like, hey, we, we were hiding from you because we were naked. And maybe a better way of saying it is we were hiding from you, God, not because we were ashamed that we were naked, but because we didn't know who we were. I'm reading into that a little bit, but God then asked the question, who told you you were naked? Let me ask you this way. The word you use to describe yourself, who told you that word? The way you view yourself today, who told you that that's you? 
And this is what God is getting at. Who, who told you you were naked, Adam? Who was the one who whispered into your ear, what has changed? Who have you been listening to? Because it has changed everything about Adam. So God wants to know, he asks, who told you that you were naked? And the question forced them to consider that they had a new identity, that they did, not any, they did no longer fully knew who they were. The Lord um, forces Adam and Eve to confront what has happened. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, God, you know, makes clothing for him. It says, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and his wife and clothed them. God graciously clothes them and he covers up their shame. Because if their shame is going to cause them to hide from him, God does not want them to be hiding in any longer. If you read through the Old Testament, you're going to see repeatedly the people of Israel struggling with their identity. They know that they are God's chosen people. They know that God is their God, and yet so often they no longer worship him. They run after other gods. They, they allow foreigners in. They intermarriage. They do all kinds of things that causes their identity to be questioned. I want you now to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Flip all the way over to the New Testament. Luke chapter 8. Here we see a fascinating story and a beautiful, beautiful story. Luke chapter 8, verses 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. So they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, he's heading over now to see this daughter, the crowd almost crushed him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she, had not go, uh, she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I know this story is fairly familiar to us, but there's a lot that's happening in this story. I want to suggest to us today, and we're going to focus just on one area. I want to suggest to us today that two miracles took place in this story. That the woman was healed in two ways. First, she was healed from her physical illness, and secondly, she was healed from her identity crisis. Jesus called her daughter. Due to her illness, we're going to have to make some assumptions here. Due to her illness, we know that she was ritually unclean. She would have been considered impure. She was not allowed to, to go to certain places, especially not into the temple. And so she would have often had to separate herself from people because she would have been considered impure. And this is where some of our assumptions then lead in, which, me, which could mean that 
even her own family may have separated themselves from her, that she may have ended up suddenly no longer experiencing the love and the, and the compassion and the care of her own family. It's, it's possible that even her mom and dad eventually ended up removing her from their presence. Why? Because if they were with her, that would have also made them impure. And that would have separated them from going to the temple and engaging in that way. So it's possible that this woman no longer knew what it was like to be a daughter. Therefore, it's likely that her identity is now based on her illness because it has taken over every part of her life. This is her struggle. Every single day. This is what defines her. The bleeding would no longer be something she could hide. It would literally define who she was. It's possible that she has forgotten the comfort, the love, the security of being someone's daughter. Life for, a woman, life for women back then was difficult enough. Even under the protection and the identity of a family, we can only imagine how much more difficult it would have been if she did not have someone that would call her daughter. So Jesus heals her physically, but then he gives her an identity. Daughter, your faith has healed you. She is someone. A daughter. She is named. She is counted. She belongs. And if you're in a place where you don't know who you are, I hope you're hearing that God knows you and that God wants you to know that you belong to Him. So it's very possible that many of us are having an identity crisis. A comment I often hear from people is, I don't know who I am, and that sentiment is usually, or it's usually followed up by a sentiment of, you know, what's wrong with me? How could I not know who I am? And, and this happens often where people will come and say, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure myself out. I'm trying to understand what's, what, what makes me tick and, and what's wrong with me. Why am I like this? There are many things that cause us to struggle with our identity. Culture today tends to focus on more mainly just two areas. Our sexual orientation and our gender identity. And by those, they kind of say, this is what defines you, your, your sexual orientation or your gender identity. And, and, and it's possible that, you know, this is, obviously, it's, it, well, it's, not, it's part of who we are, absolutely. And so they basically now say that this is what our struggle is, to understand our, our sexual orientation and our gender identity. And if we can figure those out, culture says, then you figured yourself out. We know that there's much more to that. But at the same time, let's be sensitive. Let's realize that maybe some of you here are asking those questions. You are asking questions like, am I straight or am I gay? You are asking questions about your gender identity. And I want you to know those are real questions, and they must be handled with love and compassion because they are questions that are being asked of, by people who we deeply care for and about. But I want to suggest to us today that our identity is much more than those two questions, those two areas. Our identity is to be wrapped up in who we are in Christ. 
Our identity, our foundation of who we are, amongst all the questions we may have about who we are and what makes me me, let's start by laying the foundation that my identity rests first and foremost in Jesus Christ. That is where I will found, find the foundation for who I am. Jesus said to this woman, Daughter, you belong. You have an identity. And like the woman who was healed, we too must start, regardless of the questions we have about ourselves, we must start by identifying ourselves in Christ. Over the years, I've had many people come and sit in my office, and like I said, they ask these questions about their identity and about who they are and what makes them tick. And one of the things I always love is as we're having this conversation, I will ask them about their relationship with Jesus. And here's what I often notice. As soon as we talk about that, I'm going to say, hey, let me just, you know, we've talked about a lot of things. Just where are you at with your relationship with Christ? And one of the things I almost always see is suddenly there's this new confidence. Oh, I'm, I'm, that's good. I'm good. Yeah, me and Jesus, you're not perfect, but we have a good relationship. And what I love about that is it gives us a foundation to build on. So I want to say to all of us here today, if your relationship with Christ is broken, you will find the struggle to find your identity that much more difficult. Because imagine how hard it will be if we're trying to find ourselves without this foundation in place. So what we're going to do now, for the next two months, we're going to dive in deep. What it means for us to have a relationship with Jesus. We're going to go through this theme of in Christ, in Christ I am forgiven, adopted, a masterpiece, sealed by the Holy Spirit. All these different things we're going to look at in the next um, two months so that we can have a clear understanding of who we are in Christ because that must be the foundation of our identity. So in preparation for that, if you want, I want to encourage you to read through the book of Ephesians. Um, read through it multiple times. I think in the book of Ephesians, in one chapter alone, you see 11 times where Paul says, in him or in Christ. 11 times. I think it's 27 times in that book where that phrase is used, in Christ or in him. So if there's ever been a book that helps us understand who we are in Christ, the book of Ephesians is the perfect book. So we're going to look at this topic carefully of who we are in Christ. We're also going to look this year at our, our spiritual gifts. We as a church have a, a tool that you can use to discover your spiritual gifts. We're going to teach some courses on this. We want you to understand your spiritual gifts. Along with that, we're also going to encourage you to understand your personalities. Maybe you want to take a personality test. I know some of you are like, ugh, I can't stand those things. Because like me, every time you take it, you're different. And so I've taken some tests three times, and every time I'm different. And it's like, ugh, you know, because I know how those things work. So I answer according to the answer I want. Get it? That's not how you do it, but that's what I do, and that's why they never work for me. But we're going to encourage you to take personality tests to understand this part of yourself better. We also want to explore who we are as a church. What makes Deer Run, Deer Run? We call ourselves an Anabaptist church. So this year, we're going to explore what does it mean to be an Anabaptist? Some of you are like, Anna who? You know, Anna Penner, Anna Friesen, Anna Baptist. I've never heard of an Anabaptist. You know, she on Facebook, you know, don't worry about it. Anna, Anna Baptist, you know, rebaptizers. This is from the Reformation days. We'll explain some of these things more. 
And my prayer is that as we go through this theme this year, <coughs> you are going to learn more and more about who you are as a person, especially who you are in Christ. I want to wrap up by reading to you a story. And it's a story about a woman named Mary Ann Bird. And it's from a book that she apparently wrote called The Whisper Test. And so forgive me, it's a few paragraphs, I'll read it to you, but I think it's a beautiful story for us to wrap up with today. She writes this. I grew up knowing... <clears throat> excuse me. I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started to go to school, my classmates, who were constantly teasing, made it clear to me how I must look to others. A little girl with a misshaped lip, crook-nosed, lopsided teeth, and hollow and somewhat garbled speech. I couldn't even blow up a balloon without holding my nose. And when I bent to drink from the fountain, the water spilled out of my nose. When my classmates asked, what happened to your lip? I tell them I had fallen as a baby and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. By the age of seven, I was convinced that no one outside my own family could ever love me or even like me. And then I entered the second grade in Mrs. Leonard's class. I never knew what her first name was, just Mrs. Leonard. She was round and pretty and fragrant, with chubby arms and shiny brown hair and warm dark eyes that smiled even on the rare occasion when her mouth didn't. Everyone adored her, but no one came to love her more than I did, and for a very special reason. The time came for the annual hearing test given at her school. I was barely able to hear out of one ear and was not about to reveal Yet another problem that would single me out as different. So I cheated. I had learned to watch other children and raise my hands when they did during group testings. The whisper test, however, required a different kind of deception. Each child would go to the door of the classroom, turn sideways, close one ear with the finger, and the teacher would whisper something from the desk, which the child child would have to repeat. Then the same thing was done for the other year. I had discovered in kindergarten that nobody checked to see how tightly the untested ear was being covered. So I merely pretended to block mine. So as usual, I was last. But all through the testing, I wondered what Mrs. Leonard might say to me. I knew from previous years that she whispered things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? My turn came. I turned my bad ear to her, plugging up the other solidly with my finger, then gently backed the finger out enough to be able to hear. I waited, and then heard the words that God had surely put into her mouth, seven words that changed my life forever. Mrs. Leonard, the pretty, fragrant teacher that I adored, 
softly said, I wish you were the daughter. I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. For a person who feels unwanted, there is nothing more incredible than to find out that you belong. Like the woman Jesus called daughter, each one of us here today can be part of God's family. Our identity is in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. So I want to tell you something that you hopefully know, but maybe you need to be reminded of today. Your past does not define you. Your sin is not who you are. Those times you fail, those times you've been overlooked, those times that you've been mocked, teased, abandoned, neglected, that is not what makes you, you. Those times that you've stared at yourself in the mirror and seen only the things that you do not like, only that which you wish you could change, it is not all that there is to who you are. So what if, what if, you would be able to see yourself through a new lens. You would be able to see yourself as God sees you. So I want to encourage you today to join on this journey of discovery, of discovering who you are in Christ and of discovering what makes you you so that you, at the end of this year, can declare who you are. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that our identity is not wrapped up in our struggle, that our identity is not wrapped up in our weaknesses, in our failures. I thank you so much that our identity is not even wrapped up in who we are on our own, that we are yours, that we are in Christ. So as we begin this new year, I pray that every single one of us would purpose to discover who we are through the lens of Scripture, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would whisper into our ears that we are yours, and that we would hear it, and that we would believe it, that we would embrace it, and that we would live according to it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Happy New Year, and have a great rest of the week.